0: Isn't Janie great? The Shoguns have been with us for three years now. I'm <laughs> Just kidding. It seems like that. I mean, they're I, they're awesome. You have no idea how great Janie is. You should come and hang out with us during the week. We'll make you fold stuff, but you should do that. I mean, she's she's awesome. I, I we love her dearly. Steve's okay, but we just we just. <laughs> Steve's awesome. You need to read Steve's books. We've got The Conspiracy of Kindness, The Day I Died. Uh, what's, the, what's the latest one? Heaven's Lessons. Heaven's Lessons. He's got a great book on evangelism that I've been through. So get his books. They're great. Um, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It is um, oh, it's a new year. Uh, it, that it is. That means we're going to be starting a new series next week on uh, Catching God's Dream. And so today's kind of an intro for it. It's kind of, I don't know. Oh, it's the air show, by the way. If you were wondering, it's the cable air show, and it's really cool. I was here yesterday, and it's it was amazing. So they're bombing Laverne. Yeah. That's, boy, that's going to get old, huh? All right, well, let's get through this message best we can. You know, we used to have these uncovered and then it was really bad because people would just like zone out and watch airplanes and not pay attention to the Word of God. Um, all right, anyway, let's get into the Word of God. So we're going to be starting a new series starting next week but the, it, on, catch, on catching God's dream. And we'll be looking at a couple of uh, ways to catch God's dream. Uh, one thing that I've learned in my spiritual life and my walk is that God will communicate in different ways. Have you learned this yet? He talks to us through the Bible. He talks to us in prayer. He gives us impressions. He gives us dreams, too. And I, actually, that's, one of the, that's the, one of the main emphases we're going to take on catching God's dream is that we, we were once kids, and we once dreamed well, and then you, then you grew up and became an adult, and you forgot how to dream. And so we're going to be looking at God's dream for your life, how to catch it, how to get it back if, you don't, if you've lost it. It's going to be a great series, so I want to encourage you to come next week and invite your friends. But today we're going to talk about uh, your dream for the church. Um, This isn't my church. You know, it's not Janie's church. It's It's not our hobby. It's not the thing that we do. This belongs to you. This is your church. And, you know, it's easy for me to come up with dreams for my life and even dreams for the church usually like when we do a Vision Sunday, that means that we're going to fundraise for something, right? Like we need, we need a new parking lot or a playground or something like that. So, but this is not what I'm talking about. I want to encourage you to begin to dream, have a dream for, for you and how you fit into church. And maybe you did this one time and maybe you got disappointed, but I want to encourage you to do it again. I want to encourage you to say, look, I could really see myself doing something like this. I could see myself... You know, being a mentor. I can see myself leading a Bible study. And I want to just encourage you. Look, if you have that thought, that inclination in your mind, I want to encourage you just to let God fan that flame, fan that dream. And uh, and just to to seek it out and and to really, you know, water it. Now, here's the thing that I think that keeps us from experiencing God's dream in our lives. And it is maybe a a bad taste in our mouth with church. Maybe you had a bad experience with church. And sometimes we we say things like you know, I like God, I don't like church. And actually it's a very it's a it's a popular poll that has happened. It's like I'm okay with Jesus, I just don't like organized religion. Have you heard this before? Have you heard this quote? It's like, you know, I I I, I, be, I want to be a spiritual life, I just don't like people. Okay? Um and, you know, if you've thought that, and if you know friends that, that have said that, you're not alone. It, it, it is a definitely, it's a part of our culture. Um, this this week, I, I think it was, it might have been Friday, um, I had a meeting with our web developer that does the granitecreek.org site, and we, <coughs> we met at, excuse me, I got this cold thing, so now it's annoying, but we met at, uh, at Starbucks, I probably should, we, we met at a coffee shop, and. Um, and we're doing business. We're just talking about the website. We're talking about the layout. We're talking about the tabs. We're talking about the copy that's in it, and all the you know, how the pictures scroll. All this kind of stuff. We're doing business, and but we're talking about a church website. So the word church is being dropped, and you know, Bible study that that word's being dropped here and there. And so there's this guy sitting really close to us that's yeah. eavesdropping in, in our conversation, and. And uh, for some reason, he, fi- he found himself bold enough to interrupt our business meeting and, and wanting to, to start talking about issues of faith, which, which is fine. And, and at any other time of the week, I'd really enjoy to have a conversation at a coffee shop about faith, but I've got things to do. I have, got, um, I have a lot of different appointments, and I've got a lot on my to-do list, and I don't want to get into a theological discussion with the armchair theologian. But, oh, thank you. That's my wife. Yay, Miko. And, anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, this armchair theologian decides he wants to be a part of our conversation. Again, which is fine, but, look, I got things to do. So, I was a little... I was slightly annoyed. But this is how he starts off the conversation. He starts off the conversation. He says, did you know that inside America alone, there's 35,000 different denominations? I'm like, okay, that's, that's how you're going to start the question. Okay, I know where this is going. And he says, so which one is Jesus coming back for? And I said, he's coming back for mine. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, oh, which denomination is that? And I'm like, we're a non-denomination. So that kind of threw a little monkey wrench in his thought. And, um, and then he just, you know, he goes off, honestly, not, necessarily, not blatantly attacking Christianity, but there was that tone, right? There was that, that cynicism, that sarcasm, that, you know, that, you know what I'm talking about, right? And... You know, well, they do all these bad things, and the church has done this, the church has done that. And, and so I'm just, okay, honestly, folks, I was just really igno- ignoring the guy. It's like, oh, man, he's so annoying. I'm just gonna, So I was trying, he wasn't picking up on the social cues. You know what I'm saying? Like the lack of eye contact. <laughs> he wasn't picking up on that. And I'm like, all right. And then he says, I'm of the Baha'i faith. I'm like, okay, really? Okay. If you're not familiar with Baha'i, Baha'i is a, it's a religion about religions religion. I mean, it, yeah, uh, it, it, it encompasses all different types of religion. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. And it says, you know, you know we're, they're all okay, and they all believe the same thing. They're all spiritual, and they all get you to heaven. Kind of the, the, the gist of it. <laughs> okay, confession time. When I was in college, I visited a Baha'i temple once, and it was a little strange. I, i've been around strange, and it was a little strange. It was like I, it was they had a watermelon and a fruit and you kind of had to worship that stuff for real. Uh, it was really odd, but anyway really that summer, I, I, it depends on what 's in season, i guess i don't know but it, the, the idea behind the Baha'i faith is that you know it's you know you 've seen the coexist stickers right that 's the concept, and so I really didn't want to get into it with this guy. I just didn't, but the tone and the attitude and All that I really learned about the Baha'i faith from this guy is that he was a part of it. Everything else was about how negative and bad Christianity was. So his, I don't know if you want to say argument, but his approach or his philosophy is, um, this is what I'm against. Oh, and by by the way, I'm of the Baha'i faith. And he was just really annoying. He was annoying Baha'i guy. And uh, now I need to clarify something. I have met Baha'i people that are not annoying. And I have met other people of other faiths that are annoying. So just because he's Baha'i doesn't make him annoying. And I had this horrible thought in my head. You want to know what it is? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> my, my horrible thought was, man, I'm really glad this guy's not a Christian. <laughs> because he would be an annoying Christian right? What was his problem with Christianity? Oh, they're so judgmental. Oh, you know, they, it's their way or the highway. And, you know, they're so legalistic and they're, 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 you know, they, got, they think they know everything and they know the right thing. And I was thinking to myself, man, if he was a Christian, he would be an annoying Christian. And in reality, he has become everything that he hates, the way that he frames his arguments, the way that he attacks, the way that he thinks that his position is better than everybody else, he is, he, he's become the thing that he, that, that he fought against, which was organized religion and, I don't know, whatever you want to, whatever bugs him at the time. So, I was, I was thinking, okay, look, I gotta go. I actually just left. I mean, while he was talking, I was like, I gotta go. i gonna see you later. And... Um, If I wasn't so busy, I would have engaged the the gentleman in a a conversation. And I like to do that kind of thing. Um, But God gave me a word for what was actually going on. And see, what people say is that I don't like the church. I don't like organized religion. And that is what he was telling me, right? He says there's there's a problem with, with church. There's a problem with the organized church. And these are the problems with it. So I don't like the church. I like the freedom of whatever I'm you know, in right now. Um, but God told me something very specific. He says, the problem isn't with the church. The problem is with me. So he doesn't have a problem with people in church or organized religion. He has a problem with me, God the Father. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And if you think about it, it is, The Bible, one of the major themes of the Bible is you can't love God and not love people. If you truly love God, you are going to love people. If you truly love God, you're going to love the church. And, look, I know that sometimes the church is a difficult place to be because there's people in it. And what do they say on the outside? I don't want to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. And what's our response? Come on in. There's room for one more. Right? (laughs) Come on in. You are welcome in our church. It's full of hypocrites. We'll take another one. Just come on in. It's all right. We'll work through those issues. And and so I want want to talk about this, this, this perception, this negative image of the church that is a part of our society. Turn on the news. You're going to see it. And I want to I talk about it because it, it affects us. And it can infect us. It can give us a nasty attitude towards church. But here's the thing about church. The church was Jesus' dream. It was his idea. He fought it up. The definition of church, it's, it's, a, it's called an assembly. Uh, in the Greek, it comes out more across the line of uh, Call, those that are called out doesn't that sound good? that is the church those that are called out it takes on different you know offices that every church had ought to have some specific things uh, you know one is evangelism and you know an apostolic uh, nature meaning it, that it's out to grow it's out to advance to the kingdom of God that's one of the, the major things that the church is do, that does but it ought to be empowered by the Holy Spirit there should be power inside of every Christian church. That, that names the, the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have 35,000 different denominations in, in, you know, in America. Big deal. Big deal. Not, just, not one of them's going. They're, the only ones that aren't going are the ones that don't have a Trinitarian theology. That don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a third member of the, the Trinity. Those are the ones that are in question. Those are the deal breakers. So, it's silly for him to say, well, only, Jesus is only coming back for one denomination. That's just, it's cynicism, right? Okay, good. So, the church is Jesus' dream. He dreamed it up. He has all kinds of different analogies of what we do and how we are. He has different ways of expressing what church is. And the beautiful thing about the scriptures, about the holy book, is especially the last book, and we're going to read Revelation today, so get your Bibles out, turn to Revelation 21, and we're going to go back to 19, and then we're going to do the last chapter. But one of the things that Jesus does through John the Revelator is that he expresses his dream to John. And Revelation is not my favorite book. Uh, Is that... Can I not have favorite books in the Bible? Alright, it's, it's the book that I probably read the least of. Because it, it, it's, a, it's a complex book. You have to turn your mind on when you read Revelation. You, just, you have to be willing to dig in with a piece of paper you know, and write stuff down. You have to study Revelation. But Revelation is the only book in the Bible that says if you do this, if you unroll this scroll of prophecy, you will, your life will be blessed. So it's definitely worth a read. If you unroll the scroll of Revelation, your life will be blessed. So we're going to do that a little bit today. And, um, and so Jesus shows John the dream for his church. And we're going to take a look at it. All right, so let's look at chapter 21, verse 1. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Beautiful picture, right? I mean, and, and this is what Pastor was talking about this morning. You know, this, this walk, this idea of becoming born again, we get to experience new life right here and right now. And God is saying, my dream for the church is that everything is made new. And one of the the illustrations, the analogy that's in this, if you caught it, is he's saying, out of heaven is going to come the new Jerusalem. Again, this is very abstract type of stuff. A city is going to come out of heaven. Is it a real city? It very well could be. It could be, you know, this big giant city that comes out of the sky, a tangible place. That could happen. I'm, I'm not saying that it can't. But what Jesus is saying is, this is. The bride of Christ. This city that comes out of heaven is the bride of Christ. Hmm, what does that mean? I mean, there's all kinds of, well, how can, how can a city be the bride and what is the new Jerusalem? What, what is, this is all confusing to me. All right, um, the city of God. The church is the city of God. We are the city of God. The new Jerusalem is the church. And it, you know, it could be a, 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 a tangible, physical place, but it's also a people. And, and it's the, the ideologies of a people, and it's the values of a people. Like, for example, Steve and Jane, this, you know, three years ago, they moved here from Portland. Actually, it was September. But, again, they just moved here from Portland. And what, is, what do we say about Portland? And not just us, but the whole, every, you know, everybody knows that Portland is the most liberal city in America right? Is it the structures? Is it the streets and the fire hydrants and, and the buildings that are liberal? No, it's the people that are inside the, inside the, the city. So that's how, that's how the new Jerusalem is referenced. So the new Jerusalem is us. We come out as perfect, as new, as brand new. He, there's something about us, and we are that bride of Christ. Now, I know that's, that might be difficult, Okay, we just like watch the wild at heart. You know, manly men, let's cut things down and shoot ducks out of the air. Um, so this might be difficult for guys. We are the bride of Christ. Eh, I don't, what? Okay, whatever. Uh, but gals have got the same problem because we're also the body of Christ. So the Bible mixes metaphors, and we've got to be okay with it. So girls, you know, you're the body of Christ. Get over it. Guys, you're the bride of Christ. Get over it. So we, but I want you to think about the church as the bride of Christ. And in your mind, close your eyes if you want to, but in your mind, I want you to, you know, imagine the church as the bride of Christ. What does she look like? Like, if you could just, you know, project that, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, what does she she look like as the bride of Christ? Um, Pastor says that, the bride of Christ has warts and blemishes. I, I just I decided not to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. So I, I, uh, I, I, I Googled last night, um, redneck brides and trailer trash brides and all this kind of stuff. So, so aren't you glad I didn't show the picture? But you know. The the picture of the redneck bride is the bride that's got the cigarette coming out of her mouth. She's got the beer and she's got a big giant machine gun for real. There's a picture on a, um, so, and, and you know sometimes that's kind of if we think about church history, if we think about what the church has done. You know, it's just like man, she's just kind of disheveled and she's got problems and she's dysfunctional, right? And Bridezilla. That is how we view the bride of Christ. Jesus doesn't see her that way. She is not that way to him. She is beautiful. She is spotless. She is clean. She's perfect. She is the perfect match for Jesus. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? The perfect match for Jesus my, my beautiful wife brought me water, right? And I chose to marry someone that was my equal. We have different strengths and different abilities, but Mako is, you know, she's not my slave. I chose to marry somebody that was equal to me, that complimented me and that I compliment her. And that is actually the biblical view. In Genesis 2, it says, you know, in the beginning, God created mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them, meaning that I am created in the image of God, and so is woman. He created them in their image, male and female, at the same time. Then we get a second creation story of Adam and Eve, and that's the story where, you know, Adam is created out of the dirt, And he's lonely, and God says, man, this is not a good thing. It's not good for mankind to be outside of fellowship. And then he says, I'm going to make him the word is helpmate. I'm going to make him a helpmate. And he pulls the rib out. Okay? And we use all kinds of illustrations as to why God used a rib and not my big toe. Right? It's because, because my wife is to stand beside me and be a part of me, to be attached. And the one fleshness comes into it. Rather than you, know, you taking away my big toe where you know, my, my wife is under my foot. So this is very specific as to what is going on here. And Paul hits on it in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, uh, you know, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. So he's talking about marriage, but this isn't actually a marriage course. He says, he, he gets into the oneness of the flesh. When the two become one flesh, he says this is a mystery, isn't marriage a mystery? <laughs> Paul says, I don't understand women. Paul didn't say that. I just said that. But <laughs> Paul doesn't say that. But he says, you know, this relationship, this, this becoming one flesh, it's a really deep mystery. I don't understand it. Hmm? He says, this isn't a marriage course. This is what it is like between Jesus and the relationship that he has with his bride, with his church. This is the point I'm trying to make, is that when Jesus comes in, he, is, he's, he wants a bride that's beautiful and spotless and clean. But we can't do it on our own. Our righteousness, our abilities, our, our desires to make ourselves just, it's completely impossible. If I'm trying to get into God's presence... Based on my own righteousness, on how much of a good little boy I am, it's impossible to do. I can't justify myself. Only God does that. And so what Jesus, the, the, the powerful thing that Jesus does is he comes into our lives and he... He gives us his righteousness, and we put on his righteousness, and we wear his righteousness. And that's those sins and those faults where we missed the mark, those things that, that have kept us from God, those things that, that put shame on our lives and, and disappointment on our lives. Well, it's as if they never happened. And that's how it's, that's how it's described. That's how... That's how Paul describes it in Romans 8. He says, look, it's, it's been rubbed off. It's gone. It's obliterated. It's justification by faith. If we receive faith through gr- the grace of God, it's as if it never happened. Just as if it never happened. So God doesn't see your past sins and your past failures and your mistakes. He doesn't see them anymore. He can't because they don't exist to him. They only exist to you. So my question is, if God doesn't see your sins and your failures anymore, why are you focused on them so much? They don't exist to him. They only exist in your mind. Again, get last week's message. This is the devil's major scheme. He wants you to spend more time focusing on your sins and on your failures and less time focusing on your Savior that justifies you. That brings you into righteousness. You put on his righteousness. Okay, so let's take a look at, uh, at chapter 19 now in Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Church, We have to make ourselves ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen, this is in parentheses in my Bible, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. When the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell uh, to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, what we see here in 19 is we're seeing, look, the church is not righteous within her own abilities. It's impossible for the church to, to be pure and to be righteous and to do everything perfectly. It can't happen. Look, if you think that the church or the Granite Creek or the one down the street is going to be perfect and meet all of your needs, it's not going to happen. She's not perfect. But she has been made righteous, she can put on these garments. All of the successes, the spiritual milestones of past saints has made the church righteous and pure and unblemished. And so, when Jesus comes for his bride, she's perfect. She's not disheveled. Her hair isn't messed up. She doesn't have warts. She's perfect and she's clean because God has made her that way. It doesn't stop there. It's like, okay, well, God did everything for me. Yes, that's true. The next major thing. See, God, look, I haven't figured out God yet. I don't have him figured out. I want to say that I'm a student of the word, but the more I read, okay, I I understand some stuff. But the further I move into the mysteries of God, the the, the more wonderment that I have. I'm going to be really transparent with you. There was a time in my life where I had issues with the church. I didn't like people. And what was revealed to me is that, look, God loves the church. This was Jesus' idea. And the reason why you're struggling in your spiritual growth, why you can't hear God's voice right now, I'm speaking to myself. This is personal experience. God was saying, Josh, you know why you can't hear my voice right now? You know why I'm I'm held back from from moving in power in your life? It's because you don't love what I love, and I love the church, and I love people, and you don't. So what are you going to do about it? You know what my answer was? I can't do anything about it, God. And he says, I know I am going to put inside of your heart the love that I have for people. If I didn't love you, I, couldn't. I could teach you the word of God. I could beat you up with it. I could tell you all the wrong things that you're doing in your life, and make you feel really guilty and bad about yourself. I'd be really good at doing that. But if I didn't love you, you wouldn't be hearing the gospel message. True relationship with God requires faith, hope, and love. When you read the Bible, you need to read it that way. You need to read it with faith. You need to read it with hope, like hope in that dream. It's like I got that childlike hope, and I got to find it. So, uh, yeah, I know this. I know this. This feeling. I know this phenomenon. But the thing is, in order for me to grow spiritually, I have to. I have to love people. I have to turn on that love for people i got to get rid of all the cynicism, all the sarcasm, all the, the backhanded compliments and all the annoying people, even, even annoying Baha'i guy. I have to love annoying Baha'i guy. Now, I'm not saying I don't stand firm on what I know is true, but I have to love him. And when we, when we approach our lives with love, everything changes in the way that we see the scriptures. Everything changes in the way that we do church. So, the Granite Creek Church family, let me just speak to you for a moment. Um, if it's difficult to do church in this season, I want to encourage you there's hope. Like this too shall pass. And what God will tell you is he will say, look, you, you can't love them on your own, you need my help to love them. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to love well. And when you do, I am going to call you to have affection for an individual or maybe a group of people. And if you ever have this inclination, this tugging on your heart, you get somebody's face in your mind, that's an assignment from the Lord. Pure and simple. If God impresses in your mind, if you have an affection for somebody that you didn't have before... That's an assignment from God and you have to do something with it. You are the church. This isn't my church. This is our church. You are called to do something with it. So, God makes the perfect, spotless, beautiful bride for his son, Jesus. It's an incredible thing. But then we get an assignment. Once we come to the realization that we have been justified by faith, we have an assignment. We are, we are called to partner with God, to co-labor with God. And as, once we realize that we are the spotless bride for Christ, once we attach ourselves to that identity of who the church really is, We can do what we've been called to do as the church. What does that mean? Um, I know I'm not doing a good job explaining this. Once we identify and attach ourselves to our new identity as the spotless bride, we should do the same things Jesus did. Again, my wife is my equal. The way that Jesus sees his bride, this is going to probably be the hardest concept to get today. The way that Jesus sees the bride, the church, he sees it as his equal. What did you think of that thought? Isn't that a crazy thought to think about? Um, The other day, I was whining to my wife about what is going on in the world. We live in a complicated society, right? I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that are going down in our world right now, and a lot of it doesn't make sense, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of answers. And I was frustrated, and I was, I was voicing my frustration to my wife. I mean, we're dealing with, like, clone splicing and, and you know, the definition of marriage and all these different... It was like, what is going on? We have a friend, a college friend, and very devout believer. He knows the Bible better than I do. And they've been struggling to have children for a very long time. And so they went into in vitro fertilization. And they had a baby, a beautiful baby, and it's brought so much joy into their life. And we were hanging out, and he has this conversation with me. He says, Josh, I said, I'm so blessed. God blessed us with this baby. He says, but he says, I've got six embryos on ice. And they, and legally, I have to destroy them. What am I? What do I do? I'm like, I don't know. Let's change the subject. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. And see, we're faced with all these moral questions right now, and they're very difficult. And I'm, I'm whining to my wife. i was like, man, it's not fair. You know, the apostles, they had Jesus. They could ask him the hard questions, and he could give them a tangible, straightforward answer. We don't have that anymore. It's not fair that Jesus isn't here. If Jesus is here, I'd ask him these questions. Do you ever feel this way? wish Jesus was here. They're not going to ask him this question because it's not in the Bible. I can't go to the Bible for this, this question. Hmm. What did Jesus say when he left the planet? What did he say? He's leaving the planet. The apostles are freaking out. They're like, don't go. Where are you going? And he says, it is better for me to go. It's better for you that I leave the planet because I'm giving you Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is better for you than I am right now. You know, we say that Jesus is in my heart. My daughter says, Jesus is in my heart. That's cute, right? He's not. He's at the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit's in your heart. Okay, I understand the idea that I love Jesus, Jesus is in my heart. But really, really the Holy Spirit is in your heart. We, yeah, we got the Spirit of the Lord now. We have Holy Spirit now. And He is person. He is real. And He can answer those questions. Did I bother asking the Holy Spirit about that question? No, I didn't. We can call on the Holy Spirit for all the very difficult questions that are facing us right here, right now. The problem with—here oh, we go—I'm I'm bashing the church. Didn't, don't mean to do it. The problem with the church is we don't know Holy Spirit. We spend a lot. He's like our, he's like the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. We just we just we ignore him too much. And but he is equal. He is coequal with the Father and the Son. And he is what we need right here, right now. We have Holy Spirit here and now. Jesus and God are up in heaven. We have Holy Spirit here and now. We need to ask Him for the answers of our life. And it's not objective. Well, it is objective. I'm sorry. It's not subjective. We just don't know Holy Spirit well enough to engage in the right questions, to do it with the right motives. So I want to encourage everybody that you're looking for answers. Like there's too much gray in your life, you need to call upon the Holy Spirit. Ask Him. It's it's incredible. You can take the class on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. It's only like a five week class. So I encourage you to do it. But man, it's we have the opportunity to have all the right answers. They're at our footsteps, and we just don't ask. We don't ask. Okay, so, the church is Jesus' equal. That, that sounds like a heavy thought, but it's true. What do, what do, we, what do we know about, uh, about justification? Uh, it says that, Paul says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Once we receive him, once we come into this family, we become co-heirs with Christ, we, we sit at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. So this, this thing that, that we like to criticize and that we like to bash and that we like to be cynical and negative all the time towards, that, you know, all the, the sin that you pay attention to in your own life, all your past failures, Okay, when we begin to do that to the church of Jesus Christ, when we look at all the things that she does wrong, we're making her ugly when God sees her as beautiful. So instead of seeing her with her blemishes, we ought to see her in the real light that she is spotless and perfect and she has the capability and the power and the assignment to do everything that Jesus asked us to do. He says, I'm leaving and you are going to, Jesus raised the dead, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he transformed society and culture. He expects the church of Jesus Christ to do the same thing. That's our assignment here on the planet. We have been given the scepter that Jesus has. All right, let's look at one more verse in Revelation. The last chapter, chapter 22, verse 17. Chapter 22, verse 17. All right, here we go. The Spirit, capital S, who we talking about here? Third person of the Trinity. The Spirit, and who? And the bride say, come. Come, come and see. It's the assignment of the church. It doesn't say, come and argue. Come and point out what we're, What what we're against says you come and see, come and see the goodness of God, and let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Isn't that beautiful? When you present the gospel message to your friends and to your family and to your neighbors, don't try and argue them end faith. It's not gonna work. You need to say, come and take a look at this. Come and take a look at the miracle in my life. Two years ago, God healed my body. Come and take a look at that. I used to be addicted and I, I jumped through all the hoops I went through all the AA meetings and all the NA meetings. I got some victory. I did some backsliding. But the power of Holy Spirit came inside of my heart. Come and see. Come and see the good work that he has done in me. This is the best defense that we have in our faith because it's based in the relationship that we have in God. There's hope, right? Look, this is the dream for my life. There's love in my life. You see the love that God expressed to me. Come and see the love that God has on me. I got a I I dream for my future. Come and see that hope. And our culture says that we need to experiment with stuff. So it's the difference between come and see, come and witness, and come experiment. And a lot of people, they have... They never bothered to come and see. They came to test. You can't experiment with Jesus. It's impossible. You can stand back and you can see his goodness, but you can't experiment with Jesus. Jesus says, look, the road is narrow. To get to heaven, it's narrow. It's a, it's a tiny road, and I'm a small little gate, and you've got to go through me. I'm it. I'm the only way. It's small, and it's narrow. He says, you've got to die. In order to come to Jesus, you can't try him out. You've got to die, is what Jesus says. You have to die to yourself. All your self-desires, you've got to give them up. You've got to be willing to do that. You just can't test Jesus and see if it works out for you. It's, that's not faith. Faith is saying, okay, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm going to step across that line of faith. faith. I'm not going to test it. I'm in. He says, you gotta die. Another way that Jesus says is you've got to have, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to have a childlike faith. Now I've had a childish faith. The childish faith is where I sit in the corner crying and whining about everything in my life. Throwing a, a spiritual temper tantrum. That's the childish faith. The childlike faith is the one of wonder. It's the one that still dreams. When I was a kid, man, okay, I, I dreamt about my future all the time. Okay, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Then my dog died. I changed my mind on that. Um, I wanted to do all of these things. I had these dreams for my future. And then at night, man, my mind would go crazy with dreams. Very vivid. And I know that has a lot to do with, you know, the way that the imagination develops. But I'm going to tell you something else. Whenever I'm close to God, whenever I'm loving God and I'm loving people well, my dream life, even at 41, I'm 41, even at 41, it kicks in. And my dreams become vivid. And I remember them. God's trying to communicate with me. Once I begin to have that childlike faith where there's wonder in the word, where there's wonder into the mysteries of God, when I say to myself, yeah, I don't got it all figured out, but I'm going further up and deeper in. That's what deep, that's, that was C.S. Lewis's mantra. You go further up and you go deeper in. The, you're not going to get all the answers in this life, but there's more. Yes, you are the spotless bride. You've been cleaned by God himself. But there's further up and further in. You have an assignment. You are going to do what I tell you to do. That didn't sound too good. You're going to, you're, I'm going to fulfill the desires of your heart. You will do what I do and then greater. It's an amazing promise. It's an amazing identity. And it, it, there's, there's power in that. But we have to get ourselves... Look, when you worship, you've got to have this childlike faith. It's like Alice at the door, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, it's a very small door, and you gotta drink the potion in, in order to shrink to get down into it. And the potion is, is, saying, is this wonder, it's is, is allowing the Holy Spirit to cover you and to shrink you down, to break you down. Some of us are too hard and too rigid to get into the kingdom of heaven because we've been too hurt by what the world has done to us. Attach yourself to the wonder. This series, again, that I'm excited about is we're going to learn how to catch God's dream. Some of us have forgotten how to dream. And yes, God is here to justify us. He's here to get us right. But he also wants to know what your opinion is on stuff. Did you know that? That, yeah, we have the sovereignty of God. He knows everything. He does everything. He's powerful. But he also wants to know what you think. He wants to know if if you think that's a good idea. That was the first assignment that he gave to mankind. Adam, I want you to name the animals, and I want to know what you come up with. He wants us to be at that point. Jesus said the same thing. He says to his disciples, you know what? If you shrink yourself down in childlike faith, if you love well, if you love God and you love people well, you ask for anything you want, you'll get it. You'll be asking with the right motives. Anything you want yours. Sky's the limit. You can change the name of the animals if you want. It doesn't have to be a zebra. You can make up a new name. It'd be fun. Let's do it. See, God wants to partner with us. And I, and I think, again, we don't love what God loves, we don't love what Jesus loves. God loves people, Jesus loves his church. We need to love our church. We need to dream for our church. You need to have a personal dream, but we also need to have a collective dream for the church. Like when you dream about church stuff, is it you helping out in the food bank and ministering to people? Is it you leading a home group? Is it you ministering to people and praying for people and seeing God move in a powerful way? What is it? What is it? That's that's your homework this week. What's God's dream? Ask yourself, do I have childlike faith? Ask yourself, am I, am I loving well? Am I, am I doing, you know, is there anything inside of me that I need to work on? That's your homework for this week. I feel like I have the band and the ushers to come to the front. I think I got all my points all right now. Amen. Let's pray. God, right now, I just pray that, it, that we will begin to go further up and further in. I pray that, uh, that we will begin to have a heart not only for our church, but we'll have a heart for the people that are outside of our church that we will look at them with the same grace that you have, that we can say, come and see. Come and see. It's a mystery. It's beautiful. It's life-changing. I want you to see what I'm for. Let's not talk about what we're against. Holy Spirit, I pray that, again, you would descend. Everyone that is dealing with difficult questions, that there doesn't seem to be a right answer. You are the counselor. You are the helper. You are the one that will give us the right answer. I gotta pray that we will receive your spirit. If there's anything in us that's going to quench your spirit or anything that grieves your spirit, God, I pray that we will take care of that and do business so that we can dream again, so that we can love again that you can empower us to do amazing works. God, I pray that uh, as we as we worship you with our tithes and our offerings and the words from our mouth, fill this place, Lord. Fill this place.